0: welcome to the Activism Meet Impact podcast. I'm your host, Alexa, and today we're trying something a little bit new. Today's episode is called Activism Meet, True Crime and Gabby Petito, The Bachelor, and AOC's Met Gala Dress. Basically, the idea behind this new episode that we're trying out is looking at the intersections between activism and social justice and then pop culture and media. I have always loved following media and pop culture and things like that. I think there's so many interesting ways, though, especially in the past year, that some of those things that seem really, you know, maybe in the past seemed really disconnected from real world issues are really coming to a front. And, you know, we for for a lot of us now, we can't talk about The Bachelor or we can't talk about the Met Gala without also talking about different social issues that are brought up, issues of representation and race, issues of just like ethics and morality, issues of like inequality. And I think we're really seeing activism and pop culture coalesce in such interesting ways in ways that really open the dialogue to talk about the issues that we care about in new ways and gives us new vocabulary to talk about them. So this is a, just a space to think about those intersections, to discuss them and really to see, you know, does do activism in pop culture work together? Is their intersection um, actually beneficial to the goals that we have in in creating social justice and, um, you know, achieving progress in humanitarian and social issues? So. I think we'll do an episode about every two weeks. This is the first one, so you can look for another one in Mond- on Monday in two weeks. Um, I have three topics I want to talk about today. And for the third topic, I have a special guest. So super excited about that. And you'll have to listen to the third one to know who my guest is. So without further ado... My first topic is true crime and Gabby Petito. Um, over the past few years, true crime podcasts and just content have like skyrocketed, and you know we've all watched like Dateline or Forty Eight Hours or SVU, and you know crime is a huge like topic in pop culture and in media, in shows, and movies, and now increasingly podcasts. I think what's different about like true crime or Dateline or Forty Eight Hours, is that they're like real stories. They're nonfiction. They're real people's lives, and that can be super interesting just because we know it's actually real and not, you know, written by um, a screenwriter or whatever. But I feel like we really this kind of came to a head recently with um, the disappearance, and now we know the murder of Gabby Petito. She had been traveling with her fiance, and then you know, she was an influencer and so she shared pictures and stuff on Instagram, had I think a few hundred thousand followers. So, she was an influencer and then disappeared and in the weeks and now months following that, people have been sort of having like this real-time, real-life, like true crime sleuthing, Um, you know, looking back at her photos and her fiance's photos, trying to figure out what happened and I I, like read through some of the comments on her posts and his posts, and it just made me so uncomfortable because people were treating her disappearance and death as like their own like little mystery to solve. Um, And it was just like this very real manifestation of the like true crime culture that we have. And um, I think sometimes that doesn't always hold space for people's real stories and, and what they're going through and how crime can really affect people. Um, so I guess my question to think about and that I don't really know, but like, what is the role of true crime in our society? You know, we have this overburdened justice system that, you know, is harmful to minorities that locks up men of color and people of color. We have like so many issues in the justice system as far as racism. And then, you know, we have this like industry of true crime podcasts that benefit from, um, crime real crimes but crimes that are committed while you know the justice system looks very different than than the average true crime podcast so i think there's like so many interesting questions to come out of this but i'm just sort of struggling with like what are the ethics of true crime podcasts how do we hold space for real people's stories and sort of honor that and and how crime does affect people Um, And we know that crime has risen in the past year. Murders have risen um, and disappearances are actually a huge issue in Mexico. Like crime is real and and true crime obviously is um, is not fictional. And so how do we like hold space for the reality of people's experiences? Another thing that people have really been talking about related to this is how Gabby Petito was a white woman who disappeared, but there are like hundreds of missing indigenous women and women of color in the U.S. and how their stories are not told or followed or investigated in the same way. And just the huge discrepancy between how we value um, Gabby Petito's life versus other women in our society and and how problematic that is. I just also think there's this um, idea of seeing other people's problems and being really interested in their problems, but like how can we be part of solutions? And I think there's also an element of that to the story. My last thought on this is I watched the pilot of Only Murders in the Building. It's a new show with uh, Selena Gomez and then Martin Short and... I'm blanking on the name of the other actor. It's, um, uh, I can't remember it, but he's very famous as well. And basically they're all like true front, true crime podcast fanatics. And then a crime actually happens in their apartment building and they begin investigating it, you know, as true crime junkies. And it made me so uncomfortable because like somebody was actually murdered in their building and they're like extrajudicially investigating it. And like, Going around the police and, you know, it's like if we're going to have this justice system, like we got to work within it and, and kind of interesting to see them take that investigation into their own hands. I only watched the first episode, so I can't speak to the whole show, but I think. Um, it just shows how true crime really is a pretty ingrained part of our society and is something to really think about like the ethics of it and how do we yeah, just hold space for people who are actually affected by crime and people who are wrongly convicted of crimes and all those issues that really coalesce in the true, true crime genre. So next, I literally, I can't talk about pop culture without talking about the Bachelor franchise. Something happened during the pandemic, and now I just, like, can't get enough of Bachelor Nation. I think it's just this really, like, escapist thing. Um, But I also, like, it's always, like, this interesting anthropological, like, study, right? So I've been watching uh, since, I guess... I did not watch pilot Pete season except I watched the finale, like the week that the pandemic like became very real and then started watching with Claire and Tasha season in earnest. Um, and I guess I had actually watched a little bit of JoJo's season, but that was like, seems so long ago. Anyways, um, the bachelor has had to have, has been forced to have so many interesting conversations about like race and gender in the past year. And I, think it's like always super interesting because it's like you can with friends or people I know that also watch like you can discuss these things and everybody has like this common language of The Bachelor and to use that to discuss like really important issues of like representation in um, media and things like that can be really interesting I mean a lot of people love to talk about like dating and relationships in relation to The Bachelor and it can have can open up really important conversations about that as well. Um, I recently had, I guess I would call a bachelor adjacent (laughs) experience. Um, You can read more about this on the Novel Hand website, and I'll link um, sort of my explanation (laughs) of what happened. But basically, I was trying to get this hotel to remove a quite sexist sign that they had um, on their building, a marketing sign. And I was kind of hitting a, uh, hitting a wall with some, some of the more um, mainstream avenues of influence, such as contacting the hotel manager, and I noticed that a certain bachelor alum, bachelorette alum, actually, who lives in Austin, who I actually already followed, had done an event at this hotel um, last February, and so I DM'd him on Instagram, and I said, hey, I know you've worked with this hotel, they have this sign. It's, it's not okay. It objectifies women. Um, I don't think you would stand for this. I actually didn't say that, but I, I in the back of my mind, I knew he wouldn't be okay with it. And I said, can you reach out to your contact at the hotel and ask them to remove it? And he actually responded within an hour. He has like 600,000 followers. So I was like, pretty sure he doesn't even read his message requests where I would be. Um, but he like made it happen very quickly. And I was really impressed because I think that said a lot about like how he feels about the actual content of the sign. But it also made me think like he has influence and power on the line here. And if somehow this were to blow up that like this influencer did an event at this hotel that has this sign, like that would really be detrimental to his career, which his career now is influencing. And so I think we have to think about like how the bachelor franchise like creates power and creates influence for these people and in giving them a platform also like, through Instagram followers, which has been more of a conversation um, with Bachelor in Paradise this past summer, but like how like gaining followers, like, and that influence, you know, is really powerful and they are creating like little pockets of power for each of these people. And it's really important to think about how influencers use their power Generally, and also specifically within Bachelor Nation. Um, so that's just a little interesting thing <laughs> from my life. I, like I said, I'll link that, that article. Um, it's a great story. Um, and can't talk about The Bachelor without talking about the new host, Jesse Palmer, who is just Chris Harrison, 2.0, like 20 or whatever years younger. I'm really disturbed by this sort of pattern that the Bachelor franchise has created, um, they're trying to be like progressive, but really they're just creating this weird math that I <laughs> really don't like. Um, they have they'll have like one Bachelor or one host who's male, and then they'll have two bachelorettes or two hosts who are female. So you know they had Chris Harrison like this one male, um, and then to replace quote unquote Chris Harrison they had Caitlin and Tasha, so they had a white woman and a black woman come on and it was like two female hosts equals one male host and it's like oh well we had you know a female host we, we've had female hosts and we have a black host um, she's black and Asian actually but you know, like we, you know we have representation but for some reason they needed two women to do the job of one man um, and then now they've had two bachelorettes Um, they had Katie and they now have Michelle who, um, her episode is starting or her season starts next week. Um, and then they're just going to have one bachelor. So it's like Katie and Katie and Michelle are like providing the diversity for them. But like these two bachelorettes now equal one bachelor. And so this, this math of like one white man equals one white woman and one woman of color has just been replicated now a few times and it's like just kind of gross. And obviously the bachelor has like a crowd that it appeals to who, um, might not care as strongly about some of the social justice issues, um, in, you know, in our country, but it's just a little odd. And I mean, we can even push that back to Claire and Tasha being like two bachelorettes on one season. Um, a, white woman and a black woman and then you know it was just pilot p and it was just matt now matt is black but they did him a huge disservice on the whole season um and really did not like show any of his personality or life or you know just like authentic side so the bachelor has a long way to go but it always provides great content to talk about these issues and i tell myself that that's part of the reason i still watch so you know i just love just love dissecting the bachelor and tearing them apart.
1: Okay, so the last topic that I wanted to talk about is with my special guest, Erica, my sister. And what I want to talk about is the dress that AOC wore to the Met Gala. Erica, did you, did you see anything in the news about AOC's dress? Did you pick up on this?
2: I did not see this in the news, but you know, I'm not um, known to be the most up on uh, happenings in the pop culture. So um, I might've missed
1: it. That's okay. <laughs> you're, you're too busy learning about sustainable investing and things like that. It's okay. That's, that's- um, but the, The whole whole story is that AOC to the Met Gala wore a dress that said, on the back, tax the rich. Very on brand for AOC and her um, political messaging.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And then Kevin O'Leary of, what's it called, Shark Tank fame, had something to say about it. So basically, AOC started selling t-shirts and other merch that said tax the rich on it. And Kevin O'Leary came in and said, hey, AOC, this shows that you're actually a capitalist because you're going to sell merch based on this and I can help you. We'll become like, jokingly, he actually bought one of the, the I think, sweatshirts too, jokingly. And he said, you know, you're actually a capitalist and I can help you grow your margins. We can work together, make you a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And basically was throwing socialism in her face because she sold merch. Um, so we have pretty strong opinions about about Kevin O'Leary and his his outlook on the world and yeah. some of his economic views. Yes. Um what what was your reaction to to Kevin's stance here?
2: Yeah, I think it's um yeah, it's interesting. I I think there is definitely like this misconception of like what like socialism or like um like variants of of that such as like, you know, like democratic socialism um look like uh, and what their like public perception um, is versus like what they uh, would actually mean uh, like in practice. But I think, yeah, it's interesting um, that he kind of like equates like uh, selling something with uh, capitalism because I don't think that that's necessarily, I don't think that's necessarily the like correct conception of what that is but um yeah I don't know I I think like their their viewpoints are um interesting in the sense that like she's really talking about I think like um or like it seems to be like her her big thing is um like the structure of capital and like capital gains like Taxes and those kinds of thing, versus he's just thinking about capitalism, like from an entrepreneur's standpoint. And he's like, "Oh, you're like an entrepreneur. You have innovative ideas. Like, therefore, you are like capitalist." And I think, um, yeah, I think it shed some interesting light on um, on his views, which are very specific. Um, yeah, related to like the role of the government um, and various like. And the role of markets and various you know like human planning um, scenarios so um
1: yeah i don't know what, what did you think um i mean i think it's easy for a very successful white man like himself to come in and just say hey you sold something so you you know it just it was very simplistic and i think he missed some of the nuance and like, Mr. Whole Message, um, and I'm sure he hates being taxed, but, um, you know, we gotta have public goods and public resources somehow. Right,
2: right. and I think the, yeah, the the thing, his, like, thing about taxes, too, is interesting, because, like, um, I don't think he would say that, like, he, because the whole point of, like, I think her, like, there's a difference between, like, thinking that, like, everyone should be, like, I don't think AOC believes that, like, everyone should have, like, the exact same resources and wealth. I right. think believes that, like, how our system currently works, like, because of, like, the, uh, the like, structure of, like, you know, shareholders and, like, stocks and other, like, you know, financial, uh, like, levers in our current system that, like, know, and, like, the... Pay ratios of like, you know, regular employees to like executives that like, that that is not representative of like the, um, like, uh, like the comparative value that those different individuals bring to a company. Right. So like, um, yeah, I, I think he, he, he thinks that like, she doesn't like everything. It's not about like equality per se, but just like, not having these vast inequalities that aren't representative of like how different people like contribute to to society. And so, um, and just like how, how powerful, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but like how, how powerful capital is in like, um, and decision-making processes. And even in like, just, you know, determining who, it's just very much like a feedback uh, loop, um, and and definitely right. like allows certain ideals to persist and certain like demographics to um, enjoy like a much different standard of living. So even within the U.S., so um, yeah, I think there's just like this fundamental. It's interesting because I think there there are two perspectives. Like uh, in a in a way, it's funny because I think when he when he jokes that like you know hey, we can, like, work together, it's somewhat ironic, because, like, in reality, like, I'm not sure that their perspectives actually differ so much, just that, like, I mean, they obviously do in certain key ways, but, like, um, I think a lot of people like Kevin O'Leary don't necessarily actually believe that much differently, Um, like, in terms of what they want society to look like, they just have different views of, like, how to to Um, get there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, I think he thinks that like, you know, unrestrained, like very unrestrained, I would say like free market capitalism can like get us where we want. And I think, um, yeah, the last few hundred years of American history have shown us that that's not, (laughs) um, so So, I I think it, it was going to happen. It would have happened. Um, and yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just, I think, uh, I think you're, until we have...
1: that uh-huh. they're, they're really like missing each other, right? Because when AST yeah. says tax the rich, she's talking about a structural, really macroeconomic idea. Yeah. And Kevin O'Leary took that like philosophy or that theory and like, applied it to the microeconomic situation. And so she's yeah. up here talking about macroeconomic, like tech stuff. And he's down here talking about microeconomic, like a single firm, which would be AOC st- selling t-shirts. Right, and those right. are just like, like they're they're running parallel in the opposite direction, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so they're having just diff- entirely different conversations with the same rule book. Right, and, right. Um, obviously he... He exists mainly in that like microeconomic space, even though he's dealing with a lot of money, it's still microeconomics and that it's like one firm that he's focused on one business and how they're run, where she's focused on the system, taxes and spending and all that kind of stuff, which is very much macro. so like theories of liberalism or social socialism or capitalism like apply to both of those things but at different levels and so they're having different conversations Mm -hmm. um,
2: yeah and i think it's yeah and i think honestly a lot of this like a lot of this like disagreement over like taxation kind of goes back to like like divergent um like philosophies about like value almost and like i think kevin like the if you believe that like america is like a you're like a meritocracy and and you see like hey the government is i'm making all this money and the government's taking 40 percent of it and i don't agree with how they're using it like um i mean how they're using it and the fact that they're taking a certain amount of it there is like those are independent conversations right i mean they're related but they're connected but they're they're independent. But I think it's it's interesting because he's saying, "Hey, like, um, I I made this, I earned this, I must deserve it." And now you're taking what, like, you know, maybe forty percent of it. And she's saying, "Hey, like, you were never really worth that much, like, in the first place." Um, and so, um, yeah, I think until until obviously, you know, what would be ideal is like, while we're not going to, right, like, I think the first, the first step in, in them having a common ground, like, obviously, we're not going to overthrow, like, the, um, like, it's a long path to, like, you know, eradicating, like, you know, stockholder, like, um, shares of like, you know, major companies and that like whole, whole system of like wealth generation. Um, so I think until, you know, obviously the ideal would be like, um, you know, like co-ops or like, you know, companies are owned by the people that like, that run them. Um, but I, I I mean, I I think that's, I, I don't think AOC would be opposed at all to that. Um, to, to that, um, But I mean, yeah, until we get to that point, like taxation is like a a way of, uh, it's like a proxy for that, um, like for now, I guess, I don't know. And and so, yeah, I think fundamentally it just comes down to Kevin O'Leary's like, um, his like disfigured, I guess, um, idea of. Like what certain people are worth, and what like, um, and their their relative value, I guess, in in terms of like the productive output of a of a corporation. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm sure I'm sure AOC is not against someone like selling things to make no. money. Like, you know, like that. He they just sort yeah, like, and he just like takes takes one thing and twists it to mean something else, right? Uh, Great. Well,
2: very thought-provoking, Erica.
0: Thank you. Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and that is the end of our first ever episode of Activism Meet. It was a little longer than I thought it would be, but I could talk about these issues forever because I think this intersection of activism and pulp culture, pop culture is so interesting and it's not going away. So stay tuned in two weeks. We'll have another episode of activism meet. And in the meantime, we'll have much more avocado content coming your way. Thanks so much. Send us any suggestions you have for stories. Um, Not that easy to, like, Google search, like, activism pop culture and, like, find things. Really has to be organic, so would always appreciate your recommendations. Um, And you can learn more at Mm novelhand.com.